by Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Wreck, starring Manuela Velasco, Ferran Terrasa, Jorge Yaman Serrano, directed by Jame Balagaro and Paco Plaza. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. Uh, it's a new day. It's a new cask. This is going to be a fun one. We're calling this one Just Press Record, dabbling into the found footage of the horror genre, which like really reached its apex in like the 2000s after Blair Witch. So this is a genre that I tend to like most of the time, you know, when done well. Yeah. But I think a lot of times it can also come across as too gimmicky. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Hands down, the worst one I think I've ever seen was Apollo 18. Mm-hmm. No, we. I, I remember seeing the trailer for that and we talked about it. Yeah, it's like this found footage one on, on the moon. And it's just like you can kind of tell it was getting a little played out by then because there's, yeah. there's nothing in that movie. <laughs> So, excellent. So, we got a new bottle today. I've actually never had this brand before. This is Four Roses Single Barrel. So, why don't you you pour us a little bit of that, Matt? All right. You know, kind of going back to last week, we had some great responses, you know, to just talking about horror and it and everything. And Matt and I talked about our favorite horror films from from 2010 on, which was such a hard dis. Uh, such a hard thing to do um one that i forgot to even mention in consideration and and um brett our our favorite brett was was kind enough to remind me how did i forget about a quiet place um yeah that's a terrific film as well yeah i i I would i would want to call that horror it's got mixes of science fiction in there but it's mostly praise on suspense and and the and the horror elements I think a really brilliantly done movie directed by John Krasinski starring him and his wife. I think that's I'm looking forward to another one of those to see kind of where they take that. But I thought that was a great first time effort by him. What really makes that work well is how quiet the film is. It creates an eerie presence because it's just so quiet. Mm -hmm. You have to notice in that movie how quiet the theater was around you, too, because you didn't want to make a sound for fear that the creature on the screen might find. Mm -hmm. John Krasinski and his family. Yeah, yeah, that was a really well done film. Really well done. So Matt and I, we've done a first for Rye Smile. This was kind of fun. We might have to do this a couple more times. Like I totally hit Matt raw with the viewing of Wreck today. He went in blind. He had never seen it. We literally just four minutes ago just finished watching it. Just finished. Fade out. <laughs> so we're, we're coming right into it. But then I'm also going to hit Matt with the Flight of Nightcap questions blind too. I have not told him about that. So let's get right to it. Buckle up. Are Here you ready? Go. Here we go. Yep. Here's to it. Yeah, Four Roses is really good. That's really good. That that is nice. That's really interesting. That's almost, as crazy as it sounds, floral and sweet on the back end, isn't it? Four Roses being, (laughs) yeah, maybe. Hmm. Different. I don't think think we've had a a start like that on a a whiskey before. First time for a lot of things, I guess. Excellent, excellent. All right, so let's get right into the flight. Being that we watched Wreck and, you know, we're dabbling in found footage now and Wreck's kind of premise is kind of centered around like little pre-Walking Dead-ish kind of this return of the zombies, but like, you know, dabbling with like rabies and, and kind of like fast-moving zombies. So Matt, this is just, you just got to give me one. If you could only pick one zombie film 
like from the annals of all zombie films, which one is going to be your crowning achievement for for zombie? Boy, you really are throwing me a fur curve. <laughs> Not my favorite genre of horror movies. Sure, yeah. Tend to get a bit played out. And I think this is why I like that one. Mm-hmm. 28 Days Later. Yes. Um, zombies are fast. They're much more aggressive. Look, here's the thing with the zombie genre mm-hmm. for me. It's scary insofar as at some point, and we're probably going to get to this with Rec here in a little yeah. bit, mm-hmm. you run out of places to go and it literally becomes the sheer number of the masses against you. Sure. Now, slow stalking heavy-footed zombies you can sort of run away from Mm -hmm. but in that movie that wasn't the case they were faster very fast it was almost like they were super human zombies yeah and they wanted to eat you so that one for me was really troubling because you just you're not physically superior to them the way most reincarnated rigor mortis like zombie dead are you know what i really like about that film is the way it shot it almost like on like camcorders footage it's it feel it's so raw looking it's it's not like a typical like hollywood horror film mm-hmm. and that that opening bit when he's on there walking the streets of london how they were able to pull off just clearing the streets to just make it look totally isolated is that's good production value right there and that part in the tunnel when they're trying to get the car started and there's the echoes and you can hear them closing in is truly masterfully done cinema mm-hmm. uh, yeah so that would be my choice that's a good and you know what two twenty eight days or 28 weeks later is actually pretty decent too mm-hmm. with jeremy renner and rose byrne mm-hmm. i think that one doesn't get talked about a lot too but that that's that one's not bad either it, just on a totally unrelated note you mentioned her i don't think rose byrne gets talked about enough sure. like i can't think of the last film i saw rose byrne in that wasn't good yeah yeah uh, whether it's like x-men first class or yeah that one with Ethan Hawke where he's the retired oh, musician. Juliet Naked. I saw that finally. That was great. Isn't it a great that film? That was really good. Everything that yesterday wasn't is what that film was. <laughs> yeah, no, you're kind of right, actually. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, let's hear yours. I'm dying. It almost feels sacrilegious to not pick like a Romero zombie because he is the godfather yeah. of, of the, the zombie genre we know. And in weeks prior, I mentioned how zombies prior to that were like either Bela Lugosi White Zombie or Val Luton. I walked with the zombie and it's like Haitian voodoo brainwashing zombie yeah and he changed the game completely but as much as i like those ones i kind of like my zombie with the touch of you know tongue-in-cheek i know where you're going i, mean, I don't think you do actually i'm okay. gonna i'm gonna throw you for a loop um you know because zombies you want gore you want it to be over the top and i know you probably think i'm going shawn of the dead that's for sure i'm not oh wow okay. i'm actually going 1992 it's peter jackson's dead alive oh okay yeah I don't think, like, in my annuals of, like, finding horror, and mm-hmm. go back and listen to that shot about how it, Matt and I found it, we um, I always wanted it to be gorier and gorier. Like, I couldn't find one that was just, like, like you know, enough. Like, couldn't, like, surpass that. Dead Alive, like, exceeds that to the nth degree. But not in, like, a turn-you-off kind of way. It, like, it's done comedically, very Sam Raimi, Evil Dead-like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the zombie in that one, they're all bitten by the Sumerian uh, uh, Sumatra rat monkey. And it just becomes ridiculous. And there's so many. Literally, the lead protagonist at the end mows down the hordes with a lawnmower. Yeah. And it's just carnage. Mm-hmm. Comedic carnage. I've always loved that film. Yeah. Uh, you, if, you, if you see it, you got you to gotta find it on DVD because it's uncut on DVD. You get all the good bits. Real quickly, there's a part in there where... Um, there's a priest and they're in the cemetery grave robin and everyone's turning into the hordes of the undead and 
priest comes out and he's like he's like i kick ass for the lord and he, he turns into this like kung fu guy and it's like it's so ridiculous but i think you just have a good time watching it i, I think i'm coming with you like i i shine of the dead's like serviceable that's not my favorite offering from edgar wright and the simon Pegg troop okay uh but no like this i also really like return of the living dead 1985 that's dan o'bannon and I always thought that was part of Romero's zombie night of, and it's not. It's kind of its own thing, but there's some great effects in that one. That's the one where they burn um, the, the the dead in the morgue, the crematorium, and then it sprays all over the cemetery. Yeah. That one's pretty good, too. Dan O'Bannon has an interesting career in horror, too. Yeah. Ties to Alien and mm-hmm. such. So uh, he was not an unfamiliar entity in that genre and delivered in spades. And it's funny you said that because until now, I thought that was part of the Romero no, yeah. story. Because it's it's Return of the, I think we associate it with that. But no, that that's kind of its own little franchise. Interesting. Yeah. What an interesting genre. And I think it's it's kind of like, it's kind of dead right now. You know what I mean? I think And I think Walking Dead's kind of killed the last remnants of that just because the show's just going on far too long. And when it was at its zenith was like 2008, 2009. You're getting like films kind of like this coming out and, and a few other okay entries. But... Interesting little subgenre in horror. Yeah, I think for everything that Walking Dead did for the zombie franchise and sort of keep legs underneath it and keep the fires burning, uh, that's barely an ember anymore. I, I turned out like four or five seasons ago. I turned out after three, season three. Yeah. There's a couple really good episodes in there. There's one called The Grove. Mm-hmm. There's an episode called The Grove, which is, I think, a monumental moment in film. Um, but Or film, I'm sorry, TV. Yeah. But yeah, that's that needs to be retired. I think Frank Darabont had a, like a great hold on that show, and once he bailed, like the show kind of bailed with him a little bit. You said you bailed at season three. Season you never three. even got to the prison with them. Well, no, they were in the prison. That's when the governor first shows up. I didn't like stay around though. After that, the, you know, Darabont left that franchise because of funding issues. Mm-hmm. He was very clear about them not wanting to pony up for the money he asked for to do that properly. Now it's interesting because that was supposed to just be. A six-episode miniseries, and then it was going to be retired, but Mm -hmm. it's slayed. Yeah. So they turned it into episodic television with seasons. That third season or whatever that season is where they go to the prison and just get stuck there, you can see it playing out for me because there's three locations that's all that they use in there. And every shot in the prison is from this one particular angle, and you can just see that he, insofar as the funding goes was right here's the thing that was a deal breaker for the walking dead for me (laughs) i know what you're gonna say (laughs) it was the incessant rambling of i'm about to die and here is my final monologue about the human condition before i get consumed by a zombie and it became so formulaic that the minute somebody sat on the porch (laughs) and started saying what does it mean to be human was literally the epitaph on their character in that and I just got tired of well, talking and hearing about the same thing it became over a, every over. episode really so since we're kind of in this zombie um, discussion right now sure. that's key mm-hmm. because <clears throat> what the zombie thing does is as the and we'll talk about this again in just a few minutes yeah as you have less and less outs to escape, mm-hmm. you recognize there's not just the villains or the enemy of the zombie, mm-hmm. but the enemy of when we're broken down to a primal state and it's survival, what is your fellow mankind going to mm-hmm. do to you? Fight, in order or, to, fight to, or flight, yeah. Right. Yeah. 
And so I think that that plays in there too. And it just got to be with The Walking Dead. It just so reheated over and over. No, there's no disagreement with what me there. What season are they on now? Is I think like it's nine? nine or ten. Good like, God. Know when to go out. It's like a comedian. You tell your best joke and then you're out. Out. Yeah. Mic drop. Yep. Well, excellent. We're off to a great start. We Let's are. get to happy hour time and our review breakdown of Rep. Muy buenas noches. Les habla Ángela Vidal. Hoy en Mientras Usted Duerme, vamos a acompañar a una patrulla de bomberos en su recorrido nocturno por las calles de nuestra ciudad. Pero no solo eso, vamos a ver lo que nadie había visto antes. Cómo viven, cómo duermen, cómo descansan, cómo se preparan, qué comen. Vamos a ver el interior de la vida de este parque de bomberos. Acompáñenos en Mientras Usted Duerme. Rick opens up with Angela Vidal, who is a news reporter uh, in Barcelona, Spain, who's, as we joked when we were watching, probably has like the shittiest news segment. This is like the, the 10 o'clock news, but it's shown at like 1026, this segment called While You Were Sleeping. Yeah. And it's kind of like this expose on like the nightlife in the city and how and she's interviewing this firehouse kind of like kind of going about it. I like I like how you made a comment to me while we were watching how like we didn't know like she she comes across as like pretty intense pretty she kind of dominates the the screen kind of bitchy in a way and I just wonder if that's just like a side effect too of this segment that like that she's been given you know what I mean like you know what the word that came to my mind when I said pause it and we talked about yeah. that it fits too was ravenous. Mm. she's so driven towards her ultimate goal which is getting this footage that she leaves now it's going to progress to something else as the movie goes on but she's almost leaving like this wake behind her there's all these moments where she's talking to Pablo who's the cameraman saying Mm -hmm. if this sucks cut it and here she's come into this firehouse to spend the night with these these men Mm -hmm. and a few couple women too Mm -hmm. and they've let her in and Every time the camera cuts away, she's got some little side comment to Pablo, which is like, if this sucks, cut it. And look at this guy. He may not be good TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's almost there's this wreckage in her ravenous pursuit of story sure. yeah. for this ridiculous news segment. I mean, you, you're you too kind. Yeah. 1026 on Sunday night. I was saying like this is late in the evenings after Art Bell's already gone sure. off the radio. There you go. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's it's exemplified when they're when they're in the the fire truck later, and they the firemen uh, Alex and Manu ask, uh, "What's your segment called?" It's called while you were sleeping, and they're like, "Oh, okay. Well, who watches it?" Like that's just like the salt on the wound. Like, right. The, your show sucks. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, this the firehouse. This is you know it's presenting. You know we're kind of getting just like we're. What's interesting about found footage is I always kind of find like the opening like five to ten minutes is just kind of like introducing us to like the found footage concept the premise of the show where we're going with that kind of getting our bearings and then like around that time is usually like when we get like something's gonna happen here like you know what i mean yeah like like in paranormal this is like that moment where like mika finally like realized like well we're gonna film the bedroom here like at night and here's night number one type of thing it's an interesting introduction because you want them to hurry up and get to the stuff where you start to see the stuff. Sure. But you have to go through that in mm-hmm. order to understand, like you said, yeah. POV yeah. of the cameraman yeah. or what the camera's like, where we are. Letting the audience know why we're watching what we're watching. Being that it's found footage, it's found after the fact of the events that unfold. But what is the premise of why we're watching? We're trying to catch right. demons. We're trying to find this witch. We're filming this new segment like this b-roll footage for this thing 
I think that's no small feat now. Oh, yeah. There's been a lot of these that have been done. Mm-hmm. Uh, found footage is quite the popular genre. Sure. There's been several entries. Yeah. But to find a creative entryway into why we're videotaping this time, that's no small feat. And mm-hmm. I think this is is a really positive and, and good way to do it. And it's also, when you think about where this ends up and the stakes of this footage for who was going to watch it in the 10, 27, two-minute news hour bit. Yeah. Boy, it's an expensive three minutes on Sunday at 10.30 when no one's watching anyway. Exactly. And I think that really actually works quite well. Mm-hmm. That we'll, we'll get to it later, but you know, paranormal, the pursuit of, you know, let's set the camera up so we can see on camera what's happening when we're asleep became pretty played out mm-hmm. uh, in some ways. And this, I thought, first time through, yeah. was a very interesting entry point into me for the way that sure. this was going to uh, unfold. Yeah, yeah. So, so they they get they get the call, and it, they have to go to this apartment building. A woman's fallen over is kind of like the the genesis of that conversation, and the the way it escalates as we kind of progress through here. Again, we're in Barcelona, in Spain. Now we get to this apartment building. And here's something we talk a lot about in Hormat is finding secluded, closed off locations like whether that's like in an elevator like in Devil or mm-hmm. in a boat like Hitchcock's lifeboat. Like this is something that's really hard to do. And I know we've had the the firehouse bit for but for the most part, we're gonna be stuck in this apartment building for the rest of the film now. Right. Literally as they enter and close the doors. We're we're here now. Um what do you think about this as kind of like a location? And the, the design of it is, is is interesting. It's not a typical like apartment building. It's got this interesting spiral kind of interior staircase that, you know, it's we've got people on different floors here. I like it. And let's talk about for a minute with that, mm-hmm. what at that time and even still today, everybody that's a studio executive wants, yes. whether it's in Spain or Hollywood or wherever it might be. And that's essentially single location unique concept for under three million dollars yeah okay so i think this is that now do you want do you want to guess real quick i want you to finish what you're saying okay you you want to guess what the budget of this film was wow was it under 15k no a little bit more than that there's some decent production value in here Um, but you just you kind of hit it it's two two million dollars wow so you're right yeah under three million single location and then this kind of has an interesting work because we're not only it's not like traditional narrative film, it's first person POV found footage like. I think that desire is what gave the found footage genre a lot of its momentum. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to have high production, high quality video capabilities sure. because it needed to be the video footage that you found on today your iPhone, but whatever it was back then. Uh-huh. And then... It played into another genre that's undyingly loyal, which we've talked about a lot, which is horror. And it's like, this is gold (laughs) for production It really is. Okay, so what do I think about the apartment complex? I think it's perfect. There's enough of a variance in where you're going to be located to keep it interesting, to keep it from being the jail and the Walking Dead seasons four through six or whatever. That's that's fair. Um, Yeah, and it completely worked. And you know what really is effective in this as we were watching through it? Mm -hmm. The staircase is really an effective bit in this because it presents here's what's coming, here's where we need to go. Here's what's above us. And here's what's below us. Mm -hmm. And we don't really know what's on the flight below. So we've got to kind of 
open the attic door or the basement door like oh it's dark in there conjuring we need to go in there don't go like Mm -hmm. it does that really well i yeah i think it completely works okay excellent no yeah it's 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 so unique and they have this like kind of like this textile like almost kind of like shelter behind where they it it, i think it's also kind of like a front for like like a like a clothing like it almost feels a little sweatshoppy, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yes, yes, exactly. Even like the way that that door pulls down. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that. So we get into the apartment uh, building here. This is uh, uh, Conchita's uh, apartment, and uh, we're kind of going in, and 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 we start out relatively intensely, but then like we we the film's really good about placing things in spots and then coming back to them. And then, like, we kind of see, yeah. like, where the placement's different this time. Yes. Or at this point, we've been introduced to a wide variety of different characters on the lobby, one being a mother and her little girl. And I love how they placed the little girl because the little girl's sick, tonsillitis, allegedly, mm-hmm. and she's being held by the mother. And as horror, me and you have seen so much, we're just waiting for that moment for her to just, like, to leap. And I think the film holds that back enough where it, it's almost like where we're like, well, maybe it's going to happen a different way. You know what I mean? It's- well, yeah, the, the kid and praying to God that some terrible fate doesn't befall the child mm-hmm. is something that I think we're all supposed to do as humans. Yeah. And you, in the middle of the movie, <clears throat> when the kid showed up and mom's holding her and we kind of are into what we know is coming and that's these people are stuck in here. You heard me. Like, yeah. oh, no, like the kid is sick. Dad's outside with the medicine, mm-hmm. and they can't get it. Like I felt a sympathetic uh, response to this ki- this child, seven years old. Yeah, it perfect setup. Yeah, so we get boy, in- isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so we get into Conchita's apartment, and she's just like in full like freak out mode. Her her gown is like stained like reddish pink. It's just so caked and like soaked with blood, um, and then. You know they, they they try and and go after her to kind of calm her down and then like I, I love it it's just because like if if you turn in any of these movies like if you turn your head you're you're, you're toast like you are burnt toast because I thought the same thing too just don't take your eyes off of that stop going away from it stay focused. So one of the police officers is bit they take him down it's it's pretty gruesome like I like. This is hard, too, because a lot of times in traditional film, you have, like, chances to, like, cut away, use CGI to create your, like, gore effects. Like, if if it's in real time in, like, one singular shot, like, it's almost like that person has to have that stuff in their mouth and then, like, they, like, put it on the the actor. Like, it has, like, the timing has to be perfect when Mm. this is your method of, like, of shock. Like, there's no cutaway. And, oh, is it gruesome? He's got, like, a hole in his face now. So they take him down, and what's happening in, in in the lobby? They're locking him up, aren't they? Yes, they are. Let me ask you a question about what you just brought up. Sure. You tend to have a bit more expertise in this area than I do. The mm-hmm. guys that directed this film, yes, I know that there's what four rec films. Yeah. Are they involved in all four of them? Yeah, they they co-directed the second one, and then one director did three, and then the other one did four. So anything. Um, stateside or I don't think so. No, just this. It's all been yeah over overseas in in Spain. And this is a Spanish company because this is set mm-hmm. in Barcelona. Correct. Yeah, I think that they handle that masterfully well. If you're not cutting because it's found footage yep. or very limited cuts because it breaks the found footage pieces. Yeah, you really have to not show what you're gonna reveal. Mm-hmm. And there's a 
definite expertise in allowing the camera to not let the audience see what's going to be revealed until it's time. Yeah. And after that old lady attacks um, the what what is he? Yeah, he's a police the police, police guy yeah. in there. Uh, man, it's really really masterfully done. And then when you get close on, and it's mm-hmm. just this raw pulpy, yeah, this fleshy, this chunk, ugh, yeah, yeah. Man, that's it's almost a shame yeah. that it has to be found footage insofar as if it was mm-hmm. traditional film, you could get a little bit better look at what it looked. Cause yeah. they went to great detail to make that look like this gaping bloody hole. Look really good. And that guy's cheek. Yeah. It looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. So like it, it's all, it's all like timing. It's, it's, I, I like how they, I like how everything's staged in here. It's, it's very, it, it, it feels theatrical without feeling theatrical. Right. It feels real natural. Like the, the, progression of like where people are going and you know to and fro but in the lobby here now this is the thing i think that maybe creeps me out the most is once they're locked up and they they like i think they did the whoever's choice it was to not do like see-through glass doors but like that frosted glaze Mm -hmm. you don't see the facial features of the authorities outside as they're like literally like closing them up in this apartment uh, that there's this infection now and they don't want it coming out i think like silhouetted images just in horror i think work very well there's something about the featureless void (laughs) if i want to get psychological here that like yeah it's 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 unnatural to like not see the facial feature well, it goes back to what we've said over and over again, and psychological or otherwise, philosophical also. Yeah. What you don't see is always scarier than what you do see. Uh-huh. So if you've got just a silhouette outside, and then when the thing eventually finally comes in, which is the scientist to sort of decode what's happened in this um, complex, <laughs> then you don't get a face. It doesn't create a human element to it. Yes. And there's... A disconnect between you and I as humans with faces and bad breath, and here's this just silhouette, and that's what I'm relying on. Yeah, it's it's also totally unrelated. Yeah, but it's why I think Arnold works as the Terminator. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yes. Because behind that is not a human. Mm-hmm. Now we'll see what the new one looks like, and I don't want to get off on that. We'll talk about that. I'm sure. But you know what I mean? Yes. I think that's where the brilliance in that not being yeah. able to see it works. Yeah. And even that health inspector that you just mentioned, he yeah. comes in full mask, like oxygen thing, like, and we still can't see like what's going on there. Yeah, mm-hmm. real, real mysterious. But then in a, another great moment of staging, you know, there it's it's chaos. And what I love too about the Spanish language, and I, I, they're like speaking like Portuguese here, like some form of it, which is a little different than like traditional Spanish. But it's such an eloquent language, and yeah. I, I took so many classes on this in college. And don't ask me to speak a lick of it; I can only pronounce things the way they're supposed to. <laughs> Just noticing that when you read the credits, <laughs> but. It almost sounds like a chaotic language because the way the the words trill off into each other, it's just a natural kind of rhetoric where you can just spout it off quick. It's fast, isn't it? And I think it's a fast language, and that lends to the chaotic nature of what's happening in the lobby here. Oh, well said. That's perfect. It's almost a, a little difficult to like focus on, and it's almost jarring you a bit. But man, does it fit the like the tone of this scene? It's just. It's a mess. One of the things in horror you don't want to do is let your audience get too comfortable. Mm-hmm. So as we move through the story, we get to the sequence where they're in essentially the foyer talking to the inhabitants of this apartment complex. And we have that Asian couple. Yes. Family. Mm-hmm. 
And so that scene, that bit could really struggle because this is character development and having us create relationships with these people so that we'll care, so that when they ultimately meet their demise, it has a bigger impact. Yeah. That could really drag and bog down. Yeah. But one thing I really noticed is when that Asian couple was speaking Portuguese. Yes. I was like, man, that is so weird. Yeah. It's like so out of place. Yes. Yes. And again... Not done on accident because there is a little latent racism with one of the characters in that. Yeah, the tenants. Uh, the, about like that they eat raw fish and leave the door open and who the hell does that and it's their fault. Like they kind of even work that in there. Yeah, yeah. And the whole thing is just so unnatural. Mm-hmm. Watching that woman yeah. tell that story about the guy that falls from the the other firefighter, the other firefighter that they leave upstairs, yeah. which I even forgot they left upstairs till yeah. he fell. Uh, it's just. Off-putting to yeah. say, with all social grace, to say it's off-putting. Yeah, interesting. That's a nice way to put it. So let's kind of set the scene right now. We have a bitten uh, police officer. We have a bitten uh, firefighter who's like s- smashed his face on the like the the, the uh, concrete on the concrete here. Yeah. We got kind of like a, a huge mess. So they're locked in here. So they're trying to find a way out, and they they try a wide variety of ways. You know, the the superintendent or the the landlord's like kind of officers. He's got like a like a space there, but no, they're putting like they're putting like the the plastic sheet over it. Like they said, we'll relay all the messages to the police officer in there. What you need to know. They mentioned BNC protocol, which is for biological, nuclear, or like chemical. Chemical. So so now we're kind of dabbling in. Like science, biology type of a scenario right now. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Like uh, a flu strain. Like we're pr- and then like that's already been set up kind of nicely with the daughter who's who's sick. And with then, tonsillitis. Tonsillitis, which is somehow <laughs> festering in some open wound on her lip and like weird cuts all about her lips. But that pu- uh, pussy yellow greeny thing on her lip, like yeah, that's not tonsillitis. All caked in. Ugh. Then the film does... So, let's talk about found footage a God, little bit. you just bit. said caked in. That's disgusting. <laughs> it's really gross. That is so gross. <laughs> yes, and that's exactly right. Uh, Wait, before you go, can I say one thing? Go ahead. Um, another thing I think that's handled quite well in this is in the horror movie location setting. Okay. Here's the thing you have to find a way to make your audience believe isn't doable. Here's this terrible setting. Matt, Jesse, get out. Blood drips from your ceiling. We're gone. Yeah. This... Just leave. Mm-hmm. Can't. Yeah. They're locked in. The plastic sheets are down. The authorities are stationed by every window. And when they show up to try to leave, there's guns drawn on them. They won't let them out. So we have yeah. solved that easy out. And the expanse of disbelief. Yes. This position of disbelief is yeah. now co- handled brilliantly well. I love that you said the easy out. And like that. that's that's hard to do in horror because like in the genre I love so much, the slasher, just get out and run down the street, like run to the cops, like and just hang out there. Like the other film that does it really well is The Thing. You're yeah. literally in Antarctica, like literally a continent, like away from it's freezing. There's no out. If you go out, you freeze to death. If you stay in, you're in with the thing. It's like that. That's a tough one too. This is such an iconic moment in horror film that they have that credit card commercial where those kids are running around. And they're like, look, let's get in the running oh, car. Yes. No, let's go hide behind those chainsaws or what. Like, yes. I love that commercial yeah. because they're literally saying yeah. this is 
what they should do, but they never do. So you have to find a way, if you want your horror movie to really be yeah. solid, yeah. to not let them have the easy out. And we've been in theaters before where we're, just, we're kind of like, or the audience is kind of talking back to the screen. We're like, just run out or just like, like get out of there. Like, yeah. get away. Like here, we can't, we can't say that because there's no entrance there no on the out. floor. If they go to the top, what are they going to do? Jump off the building? Like... They're, they're truly trapped, which is crazy. And one more thing, and I'll let you go back to the story. Yeah. And to that, that plays out in the rest of the film. They are constantly and continuously in pursuit of another exit. Yes. And there there is always one more possibility, and they keep looking for it. Mm-hmm. So it drives them to other places in this apartment complex or whatever this is to seek that, possibly the sewer, out of the top in the attic, uh, the front door, the window. Like, there's, they're yeah. constantly looking for a way out. Yeah, they, I think they mentioned a bomb shelter or something at one point, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so so the, the pacing of, like, found footage is interesting. It's, it's different than traditional narrative film where we have, like, kind of, like, lulls and, like, second act reversal. Like, the, some of that's still in play, but not quite. No, right. Uh, a lot of the found footage films, for the most part, have a pretty feverish pace that once we kind of get into it, the film's moving like ra- rapidly quickly. A lot of these, I, I, you'll probably be surprised to find one under uh, over an hour and 30 minutes. It starts to get too long and it dies. Yes. Yeah. So like if you stay like, I think this one was one hour 23. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of in that like that 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 range. You don't have moments to love like levity. And I think this film does something pretty unique and we have this kind of this news footage to film like these interview segments to kind of meet the rest of the tenants and how they're perceiving everything. And what's nice about these is they pepper in little points of the story to kind of hint at clues at what might be going on. Yeah. Like, and again, the little girl does, I live with me, mama, me, papa, and me, perro, Max. Yep. And like Max is at like veterinario. And we're just like, Oh, wait a minute. And you turned me like, so rabies like is, is that where this is going and that comes back a little later but then we learn that uh the the chinese couple they have their father or her father he's upstairs sick and then we learn about the man from madrid he lives up at the top and and like he's unaccounted for so we're peppering in like where we're going without being like so on the nose with it, it and the way they do it through this testimonial i think is a pretty clever way and we get some levity in there. I think there's some of that one, like, like the quasi-racism in there. It comes across as like we, we chuckled to kind of alleviate that fierce tension that we're feeling. But that guy's pretty ridiculous because he's like, oh, it's like my hair, like, is, 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 it, is it right? This is my good profile here. You think so, Pablo? <laughs> that serves an important function because it decompresses the tension in the audience. Yes. So that then you can build it up and release it in a different way. Mm-hmm. We've talked about, maybe we have, maybe we haven't, talked yeah. about how horror and comedy are both structured the same way, which is build up the tension and in comedy, release it through the ha ha ha. Yes. And in horror, release it through the ah, mm-hmm. right? That's literally the basis for how that works. Yeah. And we get, I think, and there's nothing comedic about this film. Yeah. And you know, like, it's a brief moment where you can kind of take a break with that character, that specific guy that you're sure, talking sure, about, yeah. who lives with his mama. Yes. Um, at 60 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. So y- y- they're handled brilliantly yeah. and masterfully well to, like, decompress you for a minute mm-hmm. so that when it starts again, you're not from a heightened state of four, but a state of zero. And the rise and fall then is that much greater. Yeah. It's really smart. And then we kind of, they're able to, they stop the camera, they're able to jump ahead a little bit, and then like we catch up with them. So Pablo and Angela go up to the woman's apartment to kind of kind of go see like what, what was going on there, and 
Like there she kind of is just kind of meandering in the hallway. Like the, and there's this this distance between them, you know what I mean? Yeah. And she had like a like a caretaker, this Colombian woman in there too. So now now we're in like full rage mode and they have to kind of they shoot. They they shoot the the old woman here. And and where do they place her? Like slumped against like like in the middle of this hallway. And the film's careful that Angela wants to see the footage, rewind it, we see the scene play out again, see her slumped there, we come back to it on the, the, the carnage, and we're careful to kind of see that she's still there. Oh, they're making sure that the audience knows that, the, hey, there's a way to defeat these things, mm-hmm. you just gotta shoot them. Yeah. And making sure that you're aware that this is where this dead body is. Because yeah. it's going to come into effect in about 10 minutes where it's not the same. So you're like, okay, at least our heroes yeah. have a fighting chance. Mm-hmm. These things are not um, impossible to kill. And then once the health inspector comes and does his blood test and everything's A-OK, we can get out of here. Can I say something that really struck me in this film? Yeah. In juxtaposition to last week. Sure. So the, the first, I'm just going to say rabid for lack of a better term. Sure, right yeah. Now. The first rabid encounter, which is that old woman that you talk about that bites the fire uh, fighter and then the, the policeman. The policeman. Yeah. Um, is clothed mostly in that red nightgown that's stained with blood. Yeah. How is it that this movie, under $2 million, okay. can so effectively deliver I know you're going a really uncomfortable yes. old lady? Yes. Whereas the old lady in it, that's the Jessica Chastain bit, yeah. is so stupid. It's just. It, 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 you know what it is? Yeah. I, it's rhetorical because I'm going to give you my take on this and let you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's letting the human yeah. be ugly in the human state oh, instead of a human be ugly in a CGI state. Perfectly stated. I don't even need to say anything because you're we agree on that. You're absolutely right. And I think that's where, you know, computers can become a hindrance and not just horror, but in all genres of film. And, you know, like the, the natural, I was actually talking with this with my buddy last night. We were, Inception came up oh. and we were talking about like, any other director making that film with the rotating hallway would probably do that in the computer and he'd make it even more ridiculous mm-hmm. where all four worlds would probably be spinning and it would look like crap. Whereas you have someone like that who wants to do it authentically with what's given to you, which is what this film presents. Let's use what's given to us in camera. And I think that's a subtle art that is totally forgotten in today's Hollywood. But I think it, it it's more terrifying in this instance. Well, you said it. You, you said it even more perfectly. In yeah. found footage, you know what you get? Yeah. You get the authenticity of horror Ooh. instead of the fakeness of horror. That's... Because it's found footage, you don't have any CGI. Yes. I think that's why it works better. Like, I actually have chills kind of thinking about it on my arms right now. Yeah. About that slumped, obscure, awkward lady compared to... Almost a comedic element that happened with Jessica Chastain. Sure. In, in it. No, that's a, that's a total valid like argument there. Authenticity is the key here. Yes, that's good. Yeah. Excellent. So now it's it's turning into a bit of a shit show now in this oh. apartment. Yeah, we got we got the infected. They're dying. Uh, in comes the health inspector. This is my favorite shot of the whole of the whole film because. Yeah, <laughs> Matt's got the heebie-jeebies. I do. You can see the goosebumps on my arm right Wait now. Wait till it's we get to the end of this up. film. Uh, and it's pulled in really close to the door as the health inspector cuts that plastic sleeve and enters in. And then it like pulls back. And then like we're getting like the siren. So the lighting's like really jarring here. The It's really low lit in the in the, the foyer here. 
and he comes in and he it's almost science fiction like he's almost like a spaceman right like i think of back to the future the spaceman that's <laughs> blast crispin glover with the rock music yeah it's almost kind of like that it's almost a little unnatural a little out of genre and then again we he's featureless he's got this mask on and everyone's kind of wondering like well why's he got that like what's happening here mm-hmm. so we get a cool moment of you know the the pablo and them spying in on what he's doing they're trying to administer like some type of anesthetic or something to alleviate the pain and again the the film's really good at you know showing that these these men are handcuffed to the thing and we're just we're waiting for that to go south like we've seen enough horror that it can only go south at this point whether it's the anesthetic or the guy in the suit that has a knowledge of what's happening, mm-hmm. or the cop who's relaying the messages from the cops outdoors that said basically they just need to take blood samples, make sure we're good, and then everybody's fine. <clears throat> I think that provides an element of hope mm-hmm. that only then when you're let down creates yeah. a larger horrific feeling. Um, but that bit also to the part you're talking about. Yeah. We're watching... One of the cops, the intern doctor that's uh, a resident of the hotel, I'm sorry, the apartment, yeah, yeah, yeah. administer the first aid to these two men that were bitten in the opening scene by that, that weird old lady. Uh, you can see like humanity still trying to be human. Mm-hmm. But then what's cool about it is the camera is kind of peering in through the crack in the wind the the opening in the window yes and you're seeing what you're not supposed to be seeing so it creates almost a voyeur effect yeah and then when it goes south in there you have the the protection of the window so the thing can't quite come get you but then you also don't have a really clear look at what's going on so you're sort of struggling with the camera pov as the audience to see what's going on in it Again, less is more. What yeah. you don't see is scarier that's, than what you do. That's good. I think the film also does a good job of, even though it's found footage and it can be shaky at times, like the focal point of what we're supposed to be looking at is usually pretty like still. Yeah. In this instance, we're like we're panning back and forth and we're able to kind of survey the scene from our limited POV. And I think this is a problem. And like talk about another found footage film, Chlorophyll. This is my biggest problem with that film is it's, so all over the place that it's hard to focus on what's happening and it's so dark in that movie that i think you lose sight of what we're supposed to be looking at pov by the way is point of view for those of you that don't know and if you do know that i'm not trying to insult you just for maybe someone who's tuning in for the first time point of view yeah so yeah i think we're, we're we're taking the time to focus on what we need to be focusing on but again this goes south they bite this resident doctor in there. Yeah, so, so they the, just got. So the doctor's gone now. Yeah, the doctor's gone. They lock up the sweatshop at this point, and we kind of get we kind of get the the news from the health inspector. I'll let you kind of explain what, what what he tells them what we're dealing with at this point. So this whole infrastructure that's been sent to this apartment complex revolves around Jennifer. That's the little girl's possible dog. Mm-hmm. So some dog was found. It was extremely aggressive. There is some allusion to maybe it's rabid. It began attacking all of the other animals in the veterinarian shelter. But the chip for the pet is traced back to this place. I like that plot element. I don't I do know too. if I've seen that in a film like where because obviously if you have a pet, they chip it, and right. if they ever if it ever comes into the shelter, they're able to find out like where it's housed. I think. Again, that's so smart in storytelling. Here's the way we know to go back to this place through the chip on this dog. Yeah. So, so 
simple and smart and not well we just happen to be walking down the street and heard scream like bullshit like yeah. we get to that right <laughs> yeah um so this this cdc guy yeah tells them once we kind of have eliminated what this is yes. and sedated these things then i think we'll be okay and he's still providing hope but here's the thing that's also happened at this point mm-hmm. we are already starting to run out of outs yes. by the outs i mean exits mm-hmm. so the room where the chained up bodies were and the cop that's the hired cop that's still surviving in the apartment complex yeah. and the doctor are now gone. And we're starting to wall ourselves off from possible routes yeah. that we can escape to. Mm-hmm. I think we are down to like, you know, we've already shut off like two or three now. It's so limited now. And so we're, you said it earlier. Yeah. And I kept thinking about the thing in this movie. Yeah. As we're claustrophobic in this film because you're contained. Yeah. It's getting smaller by the minute. And what There's, starts happening with the characters, they start pointing fingers. Yeah, go run with that. Tell me why you love that so much. Well, I just like, you know, and it's perfect in in moments like this where obvious fight or flight or fight responses to either survive or or like run or fight back. And in instances like this where everything's such a mystery on the why, the why it's happening, I think the natural intuition is to point a finger at someone saying, well, if it's a sick dog, you own the dog. This is all your, your fault. fault. So you need to go lock her up or anything. Or like, my daughter's not sick. She has tonsillitis. And I think it just, it becomes now, it becomes a paranoia element. If we weren't already uncomfortable with the claustrophobia, now we're worried about like, you know, like the fears of the characters, like like subconscious, if you want to call it that. So you create another bad guy that you have to fight. Mm-hmm. So not only do you have these zombie things running around that are ready to devour you, mm-hmm. but then you also have the fight or flight response from mankind and the de-evolution of humanism. You are reduced to a primal state and it's me or you. So not only is this thing chasing me and I'm running out of places to escape, yeah. but this guy who five minutes ago was my ally is now in that yeah. moment where it's either me or him. Yeah. And so now I have another enemy. So again, <laughs> less outs because your team is shrinking. Yes. The space is shrinking. Yeah. Man, it's a really terrific way to create a claustrophobic environment because there's nowhere to go mm-hmm. and no one to give it to. Yeah. So buckle up at this point because we're about to hit the throttle on the gas because this moment that they've been alluding to, the little girl bites the mm-hmm. mother. And again, like it, it's... Ooh, right on the eye. Right on the eye. And it, she didn't have blood before. And then like when the, it's kind of like not shown, then like she leaps at it and then it's there. Like the makeup's just like, that's a good timing. It's, it's, it's all it is. Little girl runs up the stairs. Go get her. Bring her back. We can't have the infected running all over the building. We have to contain this. So then we go into the apartment to try and find her. And again, creepily, we talked about this just a second ago off mic about, you know, like the horror tropes. Like we've seen so much that we know when you're not supposed to do certain things. Yeah. Like when's like if you, you got an obvious antagonist opposition in front of you, <laughs> what do you not do? You don't like turn your neck to it. or right. So, yeah, that's what that's what happens here. And this is what happened earlier as well. Like so they got it take on a seven-year-old little girl Mm -hmm. and she's just standing there kind of like the old lady just sort of standing there looking at them Mm -hmm. her eyes are bloodshot uh the surviving cop at this point has a syringe and i guess he's going to sedate her Mm -hmm. you know me and i are both thinking as awful as this is like don't sedate her just kill her like this isn't coming back yeah this is just a nightmare now but we're trying to hang on to some element of humanity in film and you know you can't kill the kid yeah but 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 we go on with that so sure enough Mm -hmm. He's got her, grabs her hand, and then he turns his back to her for one second to grab the syringe in which to inject her. Yeah. 
curtains, man. Yeah. She jumps on him, and this little seven-year-old yeah. gives these two grown men all they can handle for a good minute. Yeah. And so we're watching the surviving fireman, who's going to be a really important piece in this, because he's sort of the muscle element sure. in the good yeah. guys yeah. team, right? Mm-hmm. And then the cop, who I think is sort of the embodiment of the establishment in the way that it is completely ineffective. Yeah. Man. Like, I have these orders. I have to follow them. Yeah. <laughs> That's a stupid order, but yeah. I have to follow them. Yeah, like exactly. That guy, right? Yeah. And then you've got the cameraman and you've got um, our reporter. Yeah, Angela. So what, what we've seen, too, before we've entered this apartment is that old woman. She's gone. The so, one they shot. Yeah, the one they shot. And we've seen multiple times. So now that's that's in the pipe now. We're waiting for that to come back. So bullets don't work now either. Yeah. Great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, 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 the resources are dwindling here. Oh, yeah, good. So uh, cops been bitten. The girl's in there. That's a shit show. They try to leave. They're greeted by the old woman. They sledgehammer her to, to kind of get through there a couple times. Again, done in camera. They're not cutting away. They're showing us this, the, the, these elements. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as we get out of there, they try and go back down. And all the tenants are coming up the stairs at this point. They're getting out of the the, 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 the textile shop. So it's just, it's just a mess right now. You're stuck on both ends. It's coming at you from both ways. And then again, uh, where they placed the, some of the people. So they chained the mother with her bitten face on the stairwell. These guys are coming up out of the textile. They're trying to get her out, but the cop has the keys up there, so they just devour her. You know what I mean? Like, and and it's 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 gonna come back later too. But one of my other kind of favorite elements here is, you know, when they're looking for the the tenant of uh, the landlord's apartment. Mm-hmm. I think they use something. I think you know, in, in film or screenwriting or whatever. When they're trying to remember like where the tenant was, and we were even playing the game. I think they said the top, the penthouse or this and that. We were trying to figure remember where they left it. Any one of those characters, for the simplicity of the plot, could have said third floor on the left. Like we could have done that. I think they use a, a clever mechanism here where like the mailbox is his last name was let's let's go check down there. Then we can know exactly what floor and what, what room. floor, what room we're going to, but what do we have to, we have to go face what's down there, which is this chained up woman. Like So the mom of Jennifer, who's the little girl, has now fully transformed into a zombie. Mm-hmm. And she's limited with her range because she's handcuffed to the stairs. Yeah. And all I could think is they're gonna have to get by her. And I hope to God she's not so ravenous or rabid that she's willing to rip off her own arm to get to those people. Mm-hmm. So I'm forecasting the events that are coming. That's clear indication this movie's working because yeah. I'm trying to predict so I can prep myself, prep myself mentally, yeah, right, for to, what's coming to handle that. She doesn't. They yeah. get by her, although it's pretty sketchy, and she's very, very, very angry mm-hmm. and entirely too capable, despite the fact that she's chained up there with yes. the handcuffs. So we have at least an indication of where the keys are. Yeah. So let me pose this question to you, Matt. At this point, you know, kind of with all the clues and conversations that we've had with health inspector, the tenants, etc., what do you think's like happening at this point? Like what's the cause of all this? What's the root of this? I still think it's some version of rabies. Okay, like yeah. I still think it's 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 moving quickly and it's turning you into whatever rabies states necessary for the film but i'm wrong aren't i because it's not really what this is sure but i i like that because when that part hits us i think we're like wait a minute this is like the this is the unforeseen factor of this and then when you trace it all back to the dog being loose in the apartment whatever's happening there but let's let's get let's get up to that 
so they get to this apartment to find the, key, the the keys, the landlord's key. They're trying to find that that escape that escape way again, and the muscle uh, Alex is is trying to, you know, kind of I'll wait at the door here. This is poor decision on his part. Yeah. They stumble around the the apartment looking for these keys. They essentially just get the 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 dungeon master's set of keys, which has all the keys on there. And then in a, a great reveal moment where they come back out into the the third floor landing here and they're looking for him like Alex Alex and they they kind of like pan up and then pan down to this staircase and whose face do we see first is him like all changed at this point and not just his we got the cop we got like five of them on different levels of the staircase so we come to find at some point Alex has been bitten and we get the realization that the transformation is not a set time limit it's different for everybody Mm -hmm. so alex the cop or the the fireman that's the muscle Mm -hmm. transforms like that yeah and they've got i don't know four or five of these zombie things coming up the stairs after them yeah and he's come and he's one of them and he's been the guy that's been the disposal element up to this point yeah so now not only do they have the zombies but they've got the strong zombie coming after him and it's just her and the cameraman if you want to be honest about it the cameraman is rendered useless anyway because his hands are full with the goddamn camera yeah so we have this girl with no ability to defend herself because she's got no weapon and this dude with the camera yeah like all she's got is the keys so what does she do yeah drops them of course <laughs> yeah. so we're just like fuck pick them up hurry hurry yeah. hurry right. yeah before they get torn to bits and again here i like what you said like at this point in found footage maybe this is going to come up in in the coming in the coming weeks with the films we talk about at what point do you just say fuck the camera run this ain't yeah, worth it run right. but i think the camera suits a purpose in this film because it's the light oh, right because they're they're in pitch blackness right now right and especially in this in this penthouse room they get into it at the last minute this is their only source of illumination in here. So it's serving a purpose to keep it on and keep viewing, especially as we progress through here. The the CDC rep, the guy in the yellow hazmat suit, has also told us through dialogue that the way the transformation occurs is different depending on type of blood, but it is transferred through saliva. So the bite turns you yeah. basically through bodily fluid and saliva. So it might be a slow process that takes days. Mm-hmm. It might be a 10-minute process. It might be instant, depending on what type of blood you have. Yeah. So again, this is also really great because you know when you get bit, mm-hmm. you're going to turn. Yes. But you don't know how soon it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So there is, I'd like to keep you as an ally as long as I can. Yeah. Well, but I don't know when you're going to turn into <laughs> enemy. So yeah. yikes, what do I do with that? Yeah. And we've come to find out. Through the CDC guy a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. biting, I don't know, for lack of a better term, the semi-racist um, <laughs> the racist guy. Man. Yeah. Like it sometimes happens quick and sometimes in the case of Jennifer, it doesn't happen quick. Mm-hmm. And then there, like, there's no rhyme or reason to it, which is effective. Mm-hmm. You don't know when this person's going to turn against when you. But hasn't that been the story of the whole film? Yeah. Right. When it's going to strike. So let's get to it. And I think okay. now time more than ever to kind of explain. So this film came out in 2007. And in 2008, uh, we got an American version of this film called Quarantine. And starring Jennifer Carpenter. And I think Jay Hernandez is in that film. I think he plays one of the firefighters. Hmm. Uh, it's fairly, if you've seen this, you've seen th- uh, that film. It's fairly the same. The shots are very similar. The the, the layout of the apartment is very similar too. And what that film's title is called Quarantine. Yeah. It's very biological. So when we get to this final bit, we get into this room here in Wreck. And as soon as the illumination, they start panning around. 
I'm just flooded with Catholic imagery. Like, I'm just like, I'm having like a flashback of like my catechism classes at this point. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh my God, like, what direction are we going with with this story, with this unforeseen final element that's yet to be explained? In quarantine, it's fairly stays pretty biological. This religious element isn't as heavy as it is right now. And maybe that's the Spanish handling of, of the film. You know what I mean? They're a very religious uh, uh, society. But better. Yeah. Because as we go into this, the penthouse, which they think is going to be their escape route. Mm-hmm. That's why they're going there. Mm-hmm. They find the walls littered with newspaper articles about some... Real quick, they go there. It's their escape route, but it's also literally their final out. It is. There's nowhere else to go. There's there's only forward. There's no back because there's all those zombies on the stairs. They're 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 down to their like literally. Mm-hmm. This is O2 count, and you better put it in play. That's it. <laughs> yeah, right? Yes. So as we look around the room, we see some kind of unsanitary surgery tropes, uh, vials, beakers, and then the walls covered with all these newspaper clippings about. The same kid. Yes. I find myself thinking, was that same kid Jennifer? And there is a slight resemblance. I'd have to go back and watch that sure. again. But I think that's done on purpose. Mm-hmm. Jennifer, that's the little girl. Yeah. Looks like these girl, looks like this particular kid. And it's just article after article with crucifix and image of the Virgin Mary and rosary and all of the... And, little, and the little girl in like her first communion outfit, like all of that. Wedding trope—it's weird, man. Mm-hmm. It's all like the religious um, rituals that you would go through, peppered, as you said earlier. Yeah. In this wall of scientific research and journalism, and then all these scalpels and just stuff everywhere. It is so unholy. Yeah. To none of it jives, and that also is working because science and religion are naturally, in some ways, opposing. Right. Yeah. So somebody's been doing some research yeah. or either or perpetuating this or maybe both. <laughs> yeah. And at this point, you're like, well, I'm not fighting something that's rabies. This yeah. isn't rabies. Yeah. Rabies doesn't come from a demonically possessed girl. Yeah. And, and that's one of the articles they find. Exactly. So let, let me tell you where I'm at, like in my viewing stage right now. So the first time I saw this film, was, and I had seen I had seen Quarantine. I, I saw that film opening night, actually, oh, really? and didn't know it had this Spanish original that it was based off mm-hmm. of. I saw it in a class I took called The Psychology of Horror. Talk about a blast, first of all. Yeah. But we watched this, and I'm, I'm, I'm remembering, I'm like, this is kind of playing out a little differently than the prior film, and like the way this scene's unfolding. But not only am I kind of on edge because it's found footage, it's getting pretty intense, we're reaching our climax, and then the science and religion starts going down a very gray area. And I don't know if if it's science is supposed to be spewing gospel or gospel spewing gospel. Mm. Where is the truth in that gray line? And I don't know if we get the answer, but it is unsettling to say the least at this point has there been exorcisms has there been scientifically medically based exorcisms Mm -hmm. have we tried antibiotics essentially there has been a problem identified yeah and whoever is the penthouse person that maybe we never meet yeah that's and maybe we do meet that person i don't know we're going to see two more characters here in just a minute (laughs) yeah they haven't come to well there's a recording that angela yeah what's her name angela Angela. Yeah. yeah 
plays that gives us some backstory, but not really enough for any answers. Just enough to let you know that this has been going on for a while. But he kind of starts spewing the science again. He's like, I tried to, to separate the enzyme from like the host. And you're like, okay, so if she was possessed, were you trying to like go the science route to remove the sickness? Like, and I'm just like, I'm just like. And if you were, that just made it worse. Yeah. And I'm just like, how are are they trying to define it? And I'm just, it's making me uncomfortable. (sighs) It's very uncomfortable. This is why I think the exorcist plays so well, at least for us, because we grew up Catholic. Mm -hmm. Because the exorcist goes the same route. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Miss Re- uh, Reagan McNeil's mother, Ellen Burstyn, tries to go the science doctoral route with her daughter, where they literally they, that creepy scene where they inject her in the neck and try and like they do the, the CAT scans and very uncomfortable trying to find the medical definition for what's happening yeah. until we get to the point where one of the uh, doctors says, "Mrs. McNeil, do you, do you, does your family have any religious beliefs?" And you're like, "Oh God, we're going we're going a, a different route now." The question I I find myself asking myself and answering. As we're going around this room and just panning with the camera of all the weird stuff that's in there, there's bloody utensils and basins mm-hmm. and and tissue. And I don't mean nose tissue. I mean like human tissue or so, stuff. So there has been <clears throat> some experiments conducted in there on God only knows what. Yeah. And clearly it didn't work. So did you just piss it off? Yeah. Or did you just create more avenues in like the thing mm-hmm. where you blow up the thing and now you've created 10 million little things running around in the yeah, snow? Yeah, yes. What have you done? Yeah. You've made the situation worse. And for you and I, yeah. if religion doesn't work, Jesse, yeah. what else is there? Done. There's... I think I told you when I was watching, I was like, man, I wouldn't have survived this. I probably would have just like done myself in at this point. Right. Like where's the solace or the light at the end of the tunnel here? Because their last out, their alleged escape route, is literally a house of whores at this point. The origin of all of this, yeah. possibly. Yeah. So or epicenter, if not origin. They're in the worst possible situation. Yeah. So the the, the the cellar door like blows open and Pablo with the camera starts to pan up there. And again, peppering in the mystery of what's happening. A pretty great jump scare. This, this child. Yeah lashes out at the camera and busts the light on, on there. So now we're plunged in darkness, but left wondering, what the hell was that kind mm-hmm. of a thing? Mm-hmm. Can I kind of tell you what I think like yeah. is happening at this point? Sure. I think this doctor, I think this was his, his daughter. Oof. And I think she went through this possession transformation. I think... I don't know. Maybe she was pregnant at some point and whether that was him. I don't know. Like, we're going into a creepy area here. I think that's her child up there, like, wow. scrounging around the thing. And that's horrific to even consider. Yeah, the perversion of the normal is yes. super horrific. And you add in, like, the sex element. Yes. Why not? Yes. Uh, what, that's off? That's out of bounds for this movie? Of yeah. course it isn't. Yeah. So now, now, literally, we've taken the light away from this so now we're in pure night vision mode now we're, we're the camera's la- the, the last out on the camera is the night vision we're like <laughs> yeah fear not though rice smile listeners we are at a place where we've come to some conclusion at least we've identified the main source of the evil in this movie right yeah. what comes walking down the hallway at this point something totally not that kid in the attic this is this is unreal. Like this So we've got no light, so we can't see. We've got this thing in the attic that mm-hmm. God only knows the hell spawn of whatever that is. Yeah. Okay, at least we've identified the kid because all of those articles on the paper were about the kid. So at least we've found the root of the evil. No, we haven't. Go ahead. I'll yeah. let you have it. I think and this is something that kind of hindered the paranormal activity franchise, which was trying to explain and uh put a physical form to the it. 
the why, which is Toby, mm -hmm. this this demon, which we do eventually get to see at some point. I think this film solves that too with the it, the 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 why is something so grotesque. And I just showed you, this is an actual Spanish actor. He's six foot six. He's a real skinny man and very heavily made up. Ugh. It's a girl with like these like sagging breasts. breasts. Oh my God. And I, I don't like the way skinny lingering things walk. No. Because they, they're very, they're too lanky and they, they move in a really kind of like unnatural way. So what is this thing? It's coming in this unnatural way and only Pablo can see it. Because he has the night vision element working on the camera. Yeah. So all you get is the frame of camera as the angle to which we can see. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to get the reporter to be quiet so they don't give away the place that they're hiding. And this weird, angular, gangly, stringy-haired thingy with those strange breasts is walking around with a hammer just randomly hitting things in search of our surviving to protagonist it's at this point in the film when i realize i'm like we've reached here this sequence i don't know how anyone in their right mind could like not be uncomfortable with what's happening you know it just occurred to me too what you brought up with the um offspring of the guy's daughter what mm -hmm. you're talking about yeah is that because i think that's supposed to be a woman i know in real life it's a man but yeah. i think that with the breasts it has to be i think yeah it's this this girl man is that mom and the other thing in the attic daughter? I, I don't know. Maybe. Could be. Okay, so they're trying to hide and be quiet. And here comes Hammer, weird lady. Again, back to what we talked about in It and why that didn't work versus how this is working right now. Because it's real. Entirely. This is real makeup. This is a real actor. Yeah. It's the, it's the grotesque unfolding before our eyes. And because it is real and the way it's shot, because we're kind of seeing it, but the glimpses we do see are just like, it's it's... It's not how people move is the thing. Right. It's yeah. not how they look either. Oh, gosh. So, like, it's, where's the light at the end of the tunnel? Like, so if you can just be quiet long enough, maybe it will seek out some other room in mm -hmm. the attic or some other space and you can get away. And it does that. Yeah. So, he's telling the reporter, yeah. Pablo, the cameraman, mm -hmm. is telling Angela, shh, shh, shh. Yeah. You're like, stop telling her that. She's going to hear. Mm -hmm. So, we're pulling for them. And the thing turns its back mm -hmm. and they have an exit, I guess. I guess, I don't yeah. know where they're exiting, but they at least get away from this angular mm -hmm. thingy. Um, and then that goes, it goes completely It arrive. goes south because either way you think of it, if we want an exit, maybe in this room, we have to get past this thing. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't go so great for Pablo. He's kind of hammered. They trip or he, he knocks something over and the sound gives him away and this thing beats him to death. As the camera's watching so you do it, literally, first person yeah, POV. literally fumbling around in the dark at this point. Brutal. E. With a hammer, dude. Yeah, a hammer. Yeah, like a ball ping hammer. Yeah. Oh, the six foot six thing. Like, yeah, like yeah, we've reached like the, the annals of horror right now. Like, I don't think we can like make this scenario any worse than it already is. If you've seen Pan's Labyrinth, the thing that's sitting at the table with the hand eyes that we've used talked about. Yeah, this is handsome compared to the thing that's killing Pablo and, and Rec right now. Yeah. So we get it. We get kind of like our final, like kind of like Angela stumbling, stumbling around the dark and she's kind of like thrown across the ground in front of the camera. And what's going to happen? Yeah, we've seen this before. She just pulled into the nether darkness. Bye bye. And we cut to black. And what I what I've always really liked about Wreck is Wreck is uh, not trying to fool me like that. This is like I know it's found footage, but it's not trying to it didn't start with like. And quarantine does do this. 
authorities responded to a 911 call at the avenue of these LA apartment. The film just starts with her and the film ends with this and and we're out. It doesn't try to say the authorities kind of found the footage and the mis- thing remains a mystery to this day. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's just been like this kind of contained kind of just like horror romp. And yeah. I like that. I don't know if you have to have for the audience's sake how the footage was found. Literally, do you care? Yeah, no. I think, and if you do, this probably isn't the genre for you. Sure. Because there is a suspension of disbelief. And if that's the hang up, then so be it. Yeah. But I don't, you're not going to say, oh yeah, they would never find that. Yeah. <sighs> Who, real, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They probably wouldn't because you'd have to go up in that area where those terrible things are. And how but did, who cares? Yeah, and even in Blur Witch, like, how did they find that footage in, like, that house at the end? Like, yeah. someone had to have stumbled across that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just it, this this journey we took from just, like, I'm just doing this show for this firefighter to where we end up could not be more polar opposite. And yeah. I think I like that in horror. The journey to get to where we end up is very fascinating. Agreed. Excellent. So, I think time now more than ever... We'll rate the film. We have Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. So, Matt, this is your first time seeing Wreck. I know you've seen Quarantine, but this is kind of a different beast altogether. How would you rate this film? Let me give you one other similar example, and then I'll give you this one. Mm -hmm. You've seen Let the Right One In and Let Me In. Oh, yes. Let the Right One In is infinitely better than Mm -hmm. Let Me In. And that's a movie that... We probably should probably have missed and not talking about up to this point. Yes. That original is an amazing, really great piece of cinema, mm-hmm. and I say that in horror. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, it's perverted, mm-hmm. uh, it's it, and the book is just as good. Yeah, but then they remade it as an American version, and yeah. it just became it was just okay. Yeah. Because they cut out what I'm going to argue is the key point in that movie, and that's say. the castration. Yes, bit. yes. That changes the entire relationship between the two of them in that film. Yeah. Okay, so that movie for me, Let the Right One In, yeah. is single barrel with a bullet. Yeah. And Let Me In, the American version, is just called. Yeah. This is the exact same thing. Oh, that's... At the height of the found footage genre explosion. Mm-hmm. And this is obviously post that phenomenon. Yeah. This movie found a very unique and interesting way to continue to show an avenue into found footage. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely single barrel. Yeah. The horror tropes work. The way it's delivered is completely consistent with the unique story. I was entertained when I was uncomfortable in the scene. It wasn't that I was bored. It was that I needed to get on, so I was uncomfortable. It completely works. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect, but it's pretty damn close. And in this case, I would actually say I'm not going to give it um, a top shelf rating because I think it's more unique than it is. So if there's such thing as single barrel plus elite, (laughs) that's what this is. You just made it up right now. It's it's not Shawshank or one of those all-timers. Yeah. But it is such a, a cool, fresh, and a franchise that for me is pretty exhausted at this point. Oh, it's yeah. not a whole lot new. Yeah. It, Jesse, I'm, I'm, thank you for showing me this movie and choosing this for the first in the cast. Yeah. That was a really enjoyable movie awesome. experience. I might even do this in my film class, to oh, be honest excellent. with you. Yeah. So maybe a few two F bombs for public ed, but we'll consider it. It's all subtitles, so maybe you can get away with that. <laughs> Hold my hand up over there the you letter. Go. Yeah. You said something really great off Mike, when I kind of mentioned the route that this, the rest of this franchise takes when the sequel, Wreck 2, it literally is like five minutes later. Okay. And we got this SWAT, like special forces team going in to assess the wreckage. Mm-hmm. And we get a little bit more of the mystery re- revealed to us. But you said something I think that's really great about just like franchises in general, which 
you said, I don't know if I really want to know what was happening up in that room. And I think that's key with horror. I think the less we know, the more mysterious, the more uncomfortable it makes us. If we're trying to put a definition on the uncanny, the unexplainable, I mm-hmm. think it, it waters down this experience. So well, we'll just see the paranormal series for that. One and that, two really great, and then three's trash. Yeah, because they try and do just that. I'm kind of with you with this one. I, I think this is a single barrel film as well. I think it's a unique horror experience. Uh, it's going to find a way to scare you, whether through uh, a jump scare or just the setting and how it makes you uncomfortable. But I like what you said, too. The foreign adaptation to American cinemas and what gets lost in translation. For whatever reason, the castration of the the female za- uh, uh, the, of the vampire that, there uh, is just totally taken out of the American version. I don't know why, because it's such a pivotal point in the original Swedish film. Here, same thing. Why they removed the religious element from uh, quarantine, right. I think, is what really makes this an effective film in in its final minutes. And I just wonder what those decisions are. Like, it's even, I hadn't even thought about this, but what's even more puzzling about that decision. Mm-hmm. After Jennifer Carpenter came off The Exorcism of Emily Rose, one of my horror elite films. Yeah, you really like that one. And the religious element in that that's so heavy. Mm-hmm. Why did they choose to cast her and not use that same trope in quarantine? Yeah. I mean, it's there, but it's not as like upfront as this film is. Yeah. And I think because it has those Spanish roots, I mean, they're there in the vicinity of the Vatican and the holy city mm-hmm. of where this is just sacrilege type of thing to even like bring this exorcism stuff up. It's a very uncomfortable place to be in. I really like Rick, and I like its runtime. I like its its pacing, its staging. Uh, this is yeah, this is a fun watch. I was really uncomfortable, and we watched that film on a projector in class, so it's like kind of like shitty sound out of the projector. It was still uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Like so, that's saying something about the film, about this genre mm-hmm. in and of itself. Yeah, this is great. This is fun. I think we're going to have to do this. Like, whether it's myself that hasn't seen it or you. I have to get you on the next one. Yeah, there you go. We'll, we'll do it raw. We'll watch it and then just come in here with, like, that fresh. Because it's it's still, like, really fresh in my mind, like, mm-hmm. those images and everything. When it's fun to watch three. So, like, when we do the review, yeah. you have an initial first response to base the review on. Because you can watch you or me, depending on who hadn't seen it for the first time. Yeah. Watching me watch the film or watching you watch the film can I saying d- that works or that doesn't work. Can I just say that's my favorite thing of film? Yeah. Hands down. I, I like watching movies myself, but I think I get more pleasure and joy out of showing people things for the first time. Yeah. Like to see how they react to things, whether they laugh in the spots or they get scared in the spots. I really like that about sharing a filmic experience. It's harder to do in the theater because someone's going to tell us to shut up. And I can just kind of just gauge whether you're whispering to me or not. But it's, it's different here at home, which is going to kind of come into play a little with the films we're talking about. Mm-hmm. The theatrical experience versus the in-home experience. Right. So let's wrap up this episode with the nightcap. You know, talking about, you know, singular locations. You know, we were in this apartment building. You know, horror's just rife with different settings you can play with, whether that's, you know, a suburban street or, you know, a campground or whatever. Matt, what's your just this is just personal preference or your favorite. What type of setting do you like horror to play out in? And so far as do you mean time or do you mean location like period like time period or do you mean place? Why not both? Since this has all been raw in the moment (laughs) moment, I need a minute to think about that. So I'm going to let you run with this while I think. Sure, sure. 
one of the ones I've, I've always been drawn to, and maybe it's just that subgenre. I like that slasher. Like, there's something about summer camp that just, like, always, like, rings home to me. Not that I don't like a good haunted house or, like, a collegiate setting. That one's a close second, though. Mm-hmm. But, like, something about the, the, the woods is... It, it has, again, that, that, that feeling that the thing in th- this film have is there's not really an escape because... In the the vast openness of the wilderness, where how much are you going to be able to run to where you just run out of resources? Yeah. And whether that's a hockey mask wielding maniac or a a, a woman with a, a a girl with boy parts. Yeah. Yeah. I won't say what that's from. <laughs> anyway, but there's just she liked some, our Instagram feed. Yeah. There you go. There's just something fun with that, and uh, the characters you can have in there, there's places to hide, there's places to have sex, there's places to get killed in. I think that it's it, the playground is just, it's a lot of fun. I, you're not going to find any argument for me on that at all. Can I just say something real quick? Like, I, I've been kind of lukewarm on a little bit of, like, American Horror Story, and they've done circuses and yeah. asylums and whatever. First season was great, and then it just went off the rails. The one they're doing next is American Horror Story 1984. It's campground. It's slasher campground, Friday the 13th sleepaway camp. Like, I'm kind of there. Like yeah, That could be great. I'm going to check that out. I'll report back with how that goes. <laughs> all right. So off the top of my head, I don't know if I have an actual example of this, and maybe they don't exist. Mm -hmm. I really like a traditional haunted house setting. There's something about the decrepit secrets of the walls and this establishment that's been inhabited by person X, Y, and Z, and all of the things that I take on upon possession that they left behind. Mm -hmm. I like the idea that we've had a lot of discussions off mic about what the rules for ghosts are, whether it's thermodynamics or... Um, legacy like there's a lot of possibilities with ghosts and i think ghosts provide an answer for something that's essential to horror yeah and that's giving us a chance to practice what one of the rites of passage of life is whether that's sex yeah or raising a family or uh creation Mm -hmm. um death man yeah like you know and not to be too morbid and not even to say that i'm fascinated by that yeah i i I don't even say I'm intrigued by it because I don't want to go through it. You know what it is? Does that mean it's over? But ghosts give me a chance to maybe practice a little bit. You know what it is? It's kind of what it was like in this film. It's that gray area. Yeah. The balance between life and death and like where is the definition between that? I think that's like whether that be Amityville Horror or The Conjuring's 1970 setting, Ghost Story. (laughs) For everything that that movie isn't though. I know, I know. Full frontal too. Give him credit for making a full frontal in 1980. Him and his dingus falling off the building. The poor guy must have just got out of the swimming pool. Um, Okay, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want a traditional haunted house setting and I don't care how they come into possession of the house. Yeah. But for all of the decades and you and I both agree like 65 through 72 is about our favorite period in film. Okay, we agree with that. I really love the 90s. Mm -hmm. I loved that gritty uh Rebels on the back lot, yeah. sort of heroin-induced yeah. kind of Gen X feel yep. and yep. film that was going on there. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know if this was ever done, but mm-hmm. what I want is a 90s, not maybe set in decade, but set in tone, maybe yeah. decade two, traditional ghost story. Okay. Now, I don't know what, what the... God forbid it be like the Friends coffee shop, yeah. Which doesn't re- that seems to be more comedic than, yeah. than scary. Mm-hmm. And the college campus thing, I like. I know it's sort of played out yeah just give me a haunted setting 
based in the 90s with traditional 90s feelings. Let's talk about the 90s real quick, and this is going to lead into what we're going to talk about next week. Okay. What in kind of an odd decade for horror? So the lead up to the 90s, you had kind of the slasher genre exhausting every possible angle with Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, into just stupidity. I'm just going to say that Hellraiser, right like ladder Hellraiser. Yeah, ladder Hellraiser. We're going into Chucky now. We're, oh, we're, yeah. we're like hanging on the threads of Slasher. I think Scream totally changed the game. And then we had kind of that teeny bopper horror with like Urban Legend. I know what you did last summer. But then we didn't have a lot of a lot of haunted house like type of thing. To that in a minute. Hold on. God bless Rebecca Gayhart. Yeah. Yeah. I love Urban Legend. Me too. We'll do that one one of these days yeah. too. But then, like, here we come, we're approaching 1999, and what, like, a pivotal year for horror. Not only do we get M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense, mm-hmm. monster hit with a crazy twist, but we also get this little film with a no budget called The Blair Witch Project yeah. that also kind of changed the game. Yeah. And that's the film on tap for next week. I have a lot to say about it. Um, right off the bat, I'm not, not going to say it. I don't even know if that's necessarily a good movie. I need to watch it again because it's been a couple of years. But the first time I saw it, I was just kind of like, yeah, I, I get it. But like, I don't think I, I get it, get it. Do you own it? No, I'm going to have to like find it on streaming or something. Like, we should maybe do next week like we did this week. Yeah. Maybe I'll come over and watch it before we cut. Okay, yeah. Why not? Yeah, let's do that. Because for everything that that film like presents itself as, the, where that film was born was in marketing yeah. at the beginning of the internet's like genesis popularity. Jesse, I had... A great magazine that doesn't exist anymore called Premier Magazine. Mm. It was hot variety, but a better version of variety. Like mm-hmm. Entertainment Weekly, minus some of the nonsense in there, meets variety. Yeah. And they had an ad in that magazine. You have to see this movie. You better contact your people mm-hmm. at your local theater. Otherwise, you're going to miss this landmark movie event. And here's what they also said. 100% of this movie is real. Is real. Yes. Yeah. So now we're entering a different era of marketing and what we're watching. And I, I can't wait to talk about it. This genre has like, it, it has these moments. Uh, we started with Wreck in the kind of the middle. We're going to like continue with this one. And then our final one is kind of another interesting theatrical experience. Yeah. Can't wait to talk about. Matt, it's been fun. Jesse, it's been fun. Cheers. Cheers. I got to get going. Like hopefully my dog doesn't have some type of like rabies or whatever. But like I don't want what happened in Wreck to happen here in my house. That's why we have goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> the rabid goldfish. May I pray to God in uh, in my Catholic upbringing that I never see that movie. <laughs> and don't flush that thing down the toilet. Otherwise, it's in the water source. Oh, alligator. Oh, Rubber forester. Love it. Excellent. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, Stitcher Radio, and leave us an email at ricemileproductions at gmail.com. Wreck is property of Filmax International, Castiello Productions, and Magnet Releasing, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Puedo. Se me ha flejado la antorcha. ¡Arréglalo, pueblo! Lo estoy intentando, joder.
que estaba cerrado. Aquí no puede haber entrado nadie. Vale, vale pero enciéndela, por favor. <risa> 